Welcome to Move with Deb. I'm Deb, your friendly neuroplastician, and this is a podcast that explores the relationship between the body and the mind from a health at every size, judgment-free perspective. I teach you how developing a new internal conversation based on curiosity, self-friendship, and simple neuroplasticity techniques can rewire your body mind out of pain and emotional overwhelm to help you build the rich, full life that you want to live. Disclaimer, this is not a replacement for medical care. Hello, it is the Move with Deb podcast, and I'm Deb. And, you know, I always want to laugh at myself. I have this like podcast that I'm planning and that's what I was going to do today was like based on uh, watching Dr. Yoni Ashar give a lecture to Dr. Hanscom's group about PRT and that was a delightful experience and I will get to that podcast another time because what came up for me today in a group coaching call was my coach Lindsay offering this question to a coach because she was talking about kind of like having frustrations with a client who like says they want to do stuff and then doesn't do it. And, um, you know, and no shade to the coach. I mean, I feel like that is an entirely human experience. We have it all the time. We have it in our workplaces. We have it in our relationships. We have it with ourselves that experience of frustration, which is like, I want to do the thing and then I don't do the thing. I mean, that is like pretty much a daily experience in my life. So, but what Lindsay said was, what is the most loving thing you can believe about him? And that immediately had me thinking about two conversations that I had yesterday one in hypnosis practice group and then one with a client. In both of these cases, let's just say in the hypnosis practice class, this um, woman, she's in HR and she's had to talk to an employee and she was nervous about how it was going to go because she had to give some negative feedback and she didn't want her employee to feel bad. We didn't get into the whole experience it kind of been thought work the idea that you don't really cause other people's feelings like but at the same time i think we do we we don't cause people's feelings per se people's feelings are based on their interpretation of what is being said you know so if we often believe that we're always doing a bad job getting some kind of constructive feedback can also increase that belief. That aside, I do think because we are always processing sensory information, how we relate and connect to other people non-verbally does influence our experience of other people. One of the things that I was working with her on was how it felt in her body when she was imagining sitting down and talking to that employee and wanting her body to shift from feeling negative 
afraid, reactive, avoidant. We didn't quite get into like posture because we were doing more hypnosis work, but like you can just feel it when you're anxious or afraid or like annoyed if you know you're like well they're gonna take it wrong i'm trying to give them some useful feedback and if you're already anticipating kind of a negative or unpleasant response so those beliefs those thoughts those worries you know the worry is coming from a good place like she wants to help this person be better at their job one of the things I noticed was she wasn't really able, though, to connect to seeing her employee in what she's good at, in being good at her job. You know, so one of the things that we explored is like, well, what is she good at? And she was able to identify a few things. And I was like, when you think about this employee being good at those things, like, what are you noticing about them? What are you thinking about them? One of the things we talked about was this little piece that um, might have said this in this pause. You know what? I'm just going to assume that I repeat myself often, and that's just how it is. I'm not even going to keep saying, like, I might have said this at some other time in the podcast. I tend to repeat things that I think are salient and useful. So if it's salient and useful for this idea and conversation it's probably salient and useful for some other one and so i'll just repeat myself i'm just going to give myself a hundred percent permission to say some things over and over again because honestly that is the heart of neuroplasticity bioplasticity right is repetition so there we go it's a meta concept my hypnosis teacher melissa tears describes this experience that she had when she was in a training session with her teacher slash friend, John Overder, he talked about at some random time in your session, just while somebody's talking and, and telling you what their problem is. So in thought work, we would call this like a thought download. Otherwise, we would just call it listening. Whatever your framework for it of having the client tell you their story. And even it can be outside of a therapeutic framework. So it could be like listening to your friend telling you their story. At some point, just in your mind, imagine them smiling and then just notice what happens. And Melissa tells this cool story about, you know, somebody going through a narrative of a problem that she was having. And then just Melissa in her own mind imagined this woman smiling. And as she was doing that, that woman's energy shifted and she started coming up with solutions for her problem. And a lot of people in this class reported the same thing. I'm not here to prove this is a true thing. There's conversations about morphic fields and all kinds of stuff, but what it does is it changes our physiology. It changes the way that we present and connect information the way that we see another human being, it literally changes our physiology in the ways that we are able to safely connect with another person. And oftentimes like connect with the intention that we have underneath the fear. One of the things that 
this woman and I did in our hypnosis practice was to imagining that conversation, imagining sitting down to that conversation. We were just really able to bump up seeing this employee as capable, seeing this employee as like the things that she does well, being able to imagine delivering this feedback in a way that she felt connected her to her values as a manager in the way that she wanted to offer feedback and that uplifted her employee. It was this experience of recognizing that, yeah, of course, in not wanting to hurt people or in not wanting other people have a negative experience of something that like we caused, we often focus on the negative and then we kind of amplify that experience both consciously and subconsciously, both in our own bodies, in our own body language, what gets transmitted and what it is that we're like focusing on and thinking about in regards to the other person. And it's like, what is it that you're not doing in that moment? What is it that you're not noticing in that moment? What are the positive things or the neutral things that you are now not connecting to when your whole field of vision of perception is being filled by the things that feel uncomfortable? And earlier with a client, one of the things that we talked about was how they were having a nervous system response, like a fight or flight response to being in the same space as another person. I'm going to keep this kind of vague. And we talked about what they wanted to feel. And we were really able to get to this place of neutrality and even getting to this place of curiosity, of being able to see and experience being in this space. We did some tapping. We did some bilateral stimulation. I don't know if we did some peripheral vision, but that was one of the suggestions. And then we did, again, this work of connecting into the problem state and then exploring it safely which is at the heart of somatic tracking, which is at the heart of so many of these somatic practices. And we're able to bring their body reaction down so that that driving impulse to find safety, to leave the room, to protect themselves, didn't need to be triggered. We also had this interesting experience of dissociation that didn't feel scary or frightening. It almost felt relaxing. I think it's interesting that when we're used to feeling overloaded, when we're in sympathetic activation all the time, when we're in a fight or flight response, oftentimes when we're escaping that by taking ourselves out of an experience or dissociating or being in deep aversion, that's not the same as being safely embodied. When we don't know what it feels like to feel safely embodied, it's almost can feel like an absence of something. It can feel like the absence of panic, fear, overwhelm, intensity, even like the adrenaline, the juicy adrenaline that we like feeling when we're like pushing and gunning and always motivating ourselves with intensity. When we 
have the absence of that, that absence can feel a little bit scary if we don't create a positive relationship with it. And so we kind of hung out there in this spaciousness and we started naming it like spacious, this slow quality, this like open focus place. We talked about kind of being a tree and having that solid stability of being a tree and then leaning into that gentle movement that trees have. What was so interesting was immediately when we were able to take down the intensity of the fear response, the desire to connect was right there under the surface. And I just was like in awe of that. There was no real ambiguity. There was just the capacity to let go of fear or to create a way to relate to this experience without fear. One of the things that they had told me was, you know, when we kind of came back into imagining being in the room with that person, all of a sudden they were like, I'm able to see them. Like I can see almost like the brain fog that they had been experiencing, right? That fuzzy headed confusion feeling of a nervous system response because that wasn't there. Their ability to see came was there came back into being possible. I say this because we break up our, our human beingness into body stuff and, and mind stuff. And I always just want to say they're the same thing. They're the same thing. They influence each other. They cannot be separated. I even had this conversation with a friend of mine who just got diagnosed with COVID and it was their first time it's her first time having COVID and my heart goes out to her. And, you know, we were talking about kind of how are you feeling? And she was saying she wasn't feeling so bad, but her psychological stress symptoms were very activated. And I said, okay, of course they are. This is a very distressing experience, but it's really good to notice that they're different. They're different things. There's the psychological stress symptoms. They are real symptoms. They are physiological and they are real, but they're not caused by this virus. They are caused by the experience of having the virus. And I know that sounds like splitting hairs, but at the same time, it's really important to notice that so that we can begin to understand what is possible in healing. Because we can continue to have symptoms long after we are well and you know or long after we've healed long after an injury is healed long after an infection or or body thing is healed and how we tell the story of that experience really matters so i don't know this conversation is a little wandery but and maybe it does relate to the lecture with dr shar yesterday because one of the things we were talking about was pain attribution and i you know i really now just call it like symptom attribution and in this conversation you know they were talking about because his work really focuses on musculoskeletal pain these techniques in 
pain reprocessing therapy are relate to anything you know so one is having a positive you know okay i'm going to skip this part so the part that relates to this conversation is what is the attribution of your pain or of your symptoms and what part is activated threat physiology which was a term that dr hanscom used which i love he's you know kind of talks about that versus anxiety because i think anxiety kind of misses the point that we're not you know we're not really talking about the physiology of it whereas it activated threat physiology has within its title what it is and one of the things that i loved about the change work that i did with these folks yesterday and even what lindsay had said this morning in the coaching call was so powerful because we can mediate threat with our physiology with our co-regulation with our sense of connection we can build a bridge to safety for other people and ourselves with our thoughts when we take that moment and just while somebody's telling us a problem just imagine them smiling so we're not telling them to smile we're just listening but in our own mind we're smiling maybe we're imagining them already having solved this problem and we can do this work with ourselves too that's the heart of self-hypnosis the heart of doing self-coaching is building that bridge between who we are when we're talking about a problem and who we are having already solved it and i cannot claim to know anything about morphic fields but i do see the difference and maybe the difference is so subtle it's like if i'm listening to you and i'm only having a negative response to your problem state and i'm just thinking yeah you're totally fucked and i'm agreeing with everything that you're saying as if it were true and i feel just as stuck as you do i think that experience shows up in in the way that i see you if i am sitting there and i'm also listening to you talk and i hold you in my mind's eye seeing you having already solved this problem for yourself or seeing you just smiling and connecting to the feelings you want to feel whether or not you know that's because this problem gets solved but just imagining you feeling the way that you want to be feeling i can just tap into that belief and hold it you know hold it for you even when you can't have it yet that changes the way that i show up in conversation changes my energy you know there's all kinds of subtle and not subtle things that get communicated all the time we're always in this process and if we're very sensitive and hyper aware and almost you know training our brain to be on high alert for other people's energy you know we're interpreting shit all over the place that's probably not even accurate right it's like if i'm uncomfortable in my chair and i'm wiggling around and you're watching me wiggle around and maybe you're thinking oh my god they're so bored and they don't want to listen to me you know that's an interpretation based on you based on your internal narrative 
Whereas like, maybe I just got a wedgie. And this is, you know, where we can start to crack open some of this stuff, these places that we get stuck. We're always stuck in these thought loops. It's like, we can just notice that habitual pattern. And the way that we are trying to create safety, sometimes it's by trying to control other people or control the world around us. But a lot of times what that's actually doing is just reinforcing this narrative that we are unsafe. And that in and of itself is kind of where we want to begin to create change, create positive change. And so whether that's working on having accurate neuroception, whether that's working on sensory reappraisal, pain attribution, whether it's learning how to lean into positive sensations, whether it's seeing other people as safe. So can it be that kind of like recognizing your own activation and learning the tools and skills to bring that down. So just like with my client, then they could see the other person differently. And some of our conversation was like, okay, being able to be in the room, but maybe there are some unmet needs. Maybe there are some boundaries that need to be talked about. But instead of just feeling fear and having that fear just take you out of the room and having that cycle increase and only get more fearful, being able to take that high intensity fear down so many notches so that the rest of your body and mind can be present, both to hear things like whether it's constructive criticism or feedback at work, be able to have tough conversations or be able to be present with things that might be feeling hard, but at the same time connecting ourselves to this love, this love that we want to feel, because wanting to feel love is at the heart of everything. And when we create this false narrative that love is a reward, or love comes at the absence of conflict, or love is something that you have to earn, rather than it's a feeling that you can connect to in any moment, like you can just imagine somebody's face smiling and connect to the feeling of love. You can just call up a memory of love and hang out with it just for a moment. You can look at a dog on the internet. There's so many millions of cute things to look at and feel that experience of love. And we can ask ourselves, what is the most loving thing you can believe? right now, whether it's about somebody else or whether it's about you. One of the things that I sometimes just do is just look in the mirror and smile at myself. Just take a beat and reflect love back to myself. And what I notice is my shoulders drop. Oftentimes a breath comes in. And to me, that's always a sign that I am like, shifting states. Sometimes I get a little teary and that's okay. So I just want to share all of this because I, I want people to know that feeling better is possible. And how we work with our nervous system 
is an important part of this process. How we work with memories and sensory experiences is a part of this process. And just starting to notice like what our relationship to fear is. What are we doing? What are we not doing? How are we experiencing other people when we're feeling that kind of intense nervous system activation? And how can we help ourselves kind of find our way back to, you know, in polyvagal theory, that would be the ventral vagal state. And how can we bring ourselves back to connecting to the feeling of love, which doesn't require us to do or take any particular actions, but it is just the feeling. And when we connect to the feeling, just the way we experience things changes. So I just had those experiences and I wanted to bring that all together. So I thought it was this nice little triad of moments and it inspires me to keep going and helping people understand the power of your own mind-body experience, your own soma, your self-conversation, how to get good at it. I think that there's so much power when we're always trying to control for external circumstances, things, achievements, changing where we live, doing all the things. Oftentimes what we're looking for is this feeling of empowerment. And so this is one way we can do that. I hope that this conversation has been helpful, has connected some dots for you, has made you curious. And um, maybe you want to just write on a post-it note for yourself, what is the most loving thing you can believe about dot, dot, dot. Fill in that blank for yourself. I look forward to talking to you again. And if any of this work, if the way that I presented, if what you hear me talking about is something that you think would be really helpful for you in your life and in your process and your desire of feeling good, please book a curiosity call and let's have a conversation. Thank you.